The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Two Millennials One Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Gable, and today we are talking about freedom. But before we get started, I'd like to encourage everyone who hasn't already to subscribe and share our show with everyone you know. We're available on almost every major podcasting app. Check out our Spotify playlist, Two Millennials One Playlist, and be sure to subscribe to hear every new episode released on Monday. As I stated before, we are talking today about freedom, and I am very, very honored to have had a chance this week to interview one of my personal YouTube heroes, actually my favorite YouTuber, Carrie Wedler. Now, if you haven't heard of who Carrie Wedler is, she is a basically a YouTube personality as well as the editor of a news organization called Anti-Media. Like I said, I got a chance to interview her, and what I'll do for this episode is simply just broadcast the interview because there's so much great information in there, and she is so good at telling and describing and portraying this idea of freedom. Like I said, I'm going to play this interview, and I, I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Carrie, this is Ethan from Two Millennials One Podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you for agreeing to do this. Oh, of course. Thank you for asking me. Can you tell our listeners like who you are, what you do? Sure, yeah. So my name is Carrie Wedler, and I, I guess I'm a YouTube personality, but I have also been editor-in-chief of the Antimedia.org for several years. Uh, we're currently on hiatus, kind of, uh, with original content because we got deleted from Facebook a couple months ago. Actually, today, which is the 11th. Yeah, so it's been two months since we got deleted, but I am basically just a peace activist, and I started out, my main issue was just being anti-war, opposing the American empire, and that sort of branched out to peace in other areas of life and all the ways that government and their corporate cohorts violate it. I think it's well known that you used to be a liberal and a Barack Obama supporter. I loved Barack Obama. I thought that he was like this magical combination of JFK and Abraham Lincoln. And if we just voted for Obama, then he was going to fix all the problems and he was going to end all the wars and we were going to have rainbows and unicorns and everybody's going to be equal. And it was going to be this utopia. And I was so excited and I cried when he won. Uh, when was it? I guess November 2008. Sure. Uh, got real drunk in my dorm. You know, we all had a great party. <laughs> um, yeah. And then it took me. Let's see. I just stopped paying attention, obviously. I did my part. I cast my vote, and then I let Obama handle it. And in 2011, I just started to feel kind of ignorant and stupid because I had no idea what was going on in the world. And that's when I started just paying attention, and I was really taken aback by the disparity between Obama's rhetoric and what he was actually doing in office. And that's sort of what started this whole thing for me. So how I stumbled upon you... I'm very anti-establishment, and I've been raging on conservatives and Trump. I live in a very conservative state, and they believe it's small government and all this stuff, and it's just mm -hmm. so ironic, and it drives me bonkers. So I <laughs> stopped for a moment and was like, maybe I should go hear these people out. So I came across <laughs> your video entitled How Conservatives Convinced Me to Quit Being Liberal. It was mixed in with like 
Shapiro and Tommy Laren and all of these people. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So I clicked it and I watched it and I was like, nope, I'm right. She's right. Um, uh, but that's how I stumbled upon you was it was my attempt to like make sure I'm not going too far out of the extreme. And then like everything you said, I completely agreed with. But it's led me to my next question. Politically, what do you consider yourself? A great question. I consider myself apolitical. Um, some people might label me an anarchist because of that, but I simply don't believe in government because what I view government as is this special authority that has extra rights to commit violence and to control people that the rest of us don't have. And on a moral level, I don't believe that anyone should have the right to initiate violence or to force others to comply with their views or their desires. And I just like to apply that standard of morality to all people without giving a double standard to government. Yeah, anarchist, big scary word. That's what I deem myself as well, which they think you're going to like burn your house, their houses down. And I mean, everything you say makes perfect sense, but I don't think people understand it or take the time to listen to what you're saying as soon as that anarchist word drops. Are you completely anti-government? I mean, when they're like, oh, what about kids driving when they're four? Should you should there be driver's license? Like, do you ever engage with those conversations? Um, well, great question. Again, I have sort of identified as an anarchist for quite some time. It must have been, I think it was 2012. So I was a big Ron Paul supporter. I went from Obama to Ron Paul. And when I saw the way that the system treated him, I just realized, like, there's no way that we're going to elect someone that's actually going to make a difference and change the way things run. I, it became very clear to me. Um, and it was actually a parking ticket that sent me over the edge. Like, I just, I came outside from a workout. I was in Hollywood and I had this parking ticket. And it just clicked for me. It was like, hold on a minute. Wait, hold on. My taxes pay for the roads. They pay for the meters. They pay for the parking enforcement officer's salary and his car. And he's coming around and charging me more money. Like, this is a racket. This is extortion. Um, so that's how I arrived there. And I don't like to go around saying anarchist because, like you said, it is a scary term. It's been so demonized. I'll have a conversation about letting four-year-olds drive. I mean, I think there's there we can have that as a separate conversation. I do sometimes talk about that stuff. Um, but basically, my main thing isn't that obviously I want to destroy your property. I think that anarchists who destroy private property are not anarchists. I think they have a fundamental misunderstanding of freedom and what happens in the absence of government and you know morality. Uh, that doesn't mean I think they're bad people. I just completely disagree with their beliefs. Uh, but for me, the way I like to approach it really is just to say, like, if you want to have a government, that's fine. You want to have a communist utopia? Go for it. You want to have democratic socialism? Wonderful. Like, have fun. Have your experiment. Do your taxation. Just don't force people to participate if they don't want to. And I see that that's such a huge factor in American politics. Like, so much of the resentment and division is because people are being forced to submit to these views and these ideologies that they don't agree with. They're being forced to fund things that they don't want to fund. So there's so much contempt for their fellow Americans and obviously people around the world, too, because they're being forced into these situations and these policies and people don't like to be forced. Yet there's this weird uh, cognitive dissonance where they think it's totally fine to force their views on others. And that's where I have to step away. So like communism. Great. If that's what you want to do, just please do not make me participate. Couldn't agree more. This is a very open-ended question, and you can choose to answer this however you'd like, but what do you think are the biggest infringements currently on personal freedoms from our government? That's a big one, and I actually I was kind of pondering it. Um, I've been pondering it the last few weeks, and I think the biggest one really, and it might sound kind of right-wing, but I'll explain why I feel this way, is that it really is 
taxation. It's this excessive taxation because it's not, you know, it's not like I'm greedy. If I had more money to give to the poor, I would give more money to the poor. You know, I do what I can. But I think this is really the biggest threat because this is the source of the state sustenance. So everything else it's doing is funded by the money it's taking from us, whether it's bombing children in far off lands, whether it's spying on us, whether it's groping us with the TSA, whether it's the police state. These are all huge infringements, but none of them would be possible if it weren't for the excessive taxation. Mm, that's a perfect answer. I never considered it that way, but uh, you're right. If you take away the funding for that, they would quit groping us in the airport and stuff. So true. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's like there's also all these hidden taxes as well. So whether it's inflation and it, none of they're not all hidden either, like the gas tax, the sales tax, the income tax, the property tax, like it's coming from so many different angles. And that really undermines our freedom. Like when you if you look at the the belief system of democratic socialists or people on the left, I mean, this is. They're frustrated because they're living in a system that prevents them from prospering and from being secure financially. It's just, in my opinion, they're they're identifying the problems sometimes and then not really recognizing the correct solutions. But it's it's the taxation, whether it's uh, explicit or implicit. I think that that really chains people up. What's your ideal economic system? Would you go full laissez-faire, no rules, just pure capitalism? Or how do we circumvent the taxation to inhibit the government from doing these not so great things? Well, one of my favorite philosophies is agorism. Some people call it agorism. It's this idea of just subverting the established order by engaging in economic transactions that defy the state. So whether that's, you know, selling weed under the table. I'm in California where legalization has actually made the market so much worse. Like it was so much better when it was still illegal and all they had was medical. Um, that's a separate tangent, but it's just an example. Um, whether it's getting your hair cut by someone who doesn't have a license, you know, or you're trading in currencies that aren't technically approved by the state. These are all forms of subverting the established order. As far as my favored system, I do believe in free markets. I do believe that they produce the best outcomes. They have done a pretty good job at lifting people out of poverty. I, if you look at the countries in, like, say, Denmark or in Northern Europe that people like to tout as being democratic socialists, they're thriving off of capitalistic enterprises. That's where so much of the money comes from. So it's not necessarily a socialism that's succeeding. It's the capitalism. Uh, but I'm also not like a staunch ideologue. And like I said, if you want to have communism, great. I think that in my ideal system, there will be competing systems. I don't think it needs to be just one thing. You want to live in a community where it's free market capitalism? By all means, do that. You want to live in a democratic socialist system? By all means, do that. And we'll see which thrives. I hope they all thrive. I want everybody to thrive as long as it's voluntary. But yeah, I don't I don't think that it's ne even necessary to like impose one absolute system on all the people. I think that I mean, I actually at the end of the day, I think that if we're talking about a free market system, that free market system would allow for these voluntary separate systems. So I think it all goes under the the umbrella of a free enterprise or a market system. But I prefer capitalism. I like it. I understand it. It's voluntary. I know many people would disagree with that. But as long as there's choices for people to make voluntarily, then I'm OK with it. I'm getting the vibe and correct me if I'm wrong, but ideal situation in this country it seems like you go do what you want and as you read like anarchist theory that kind of breaks down decentralizes government entirely such that you have small groups of people or communities just doing what they want and interacting with each other is that ideally where you would like to see things or like what's your dream 
American system. <laughs> you summed it up pretty well. I mean, decentralization down to the individual. That would be my ideal goal. And then you can form communities as you wish and agree to the rules. It doesn't mean no rules. It just means no rulers unless you choose the ruler. You know, <laughs> like I just want consensual interactions. Sure. To me, that sounds so great and awesome. But how do you convey this to people? Like when you say this stuff to people, as you probably understand, like I speak this to people and they just think I am literally out of my mind. How <laughs> do you feel that there are, since this is a millennial podcast, that in our age group, that there are people that are willing to hear this? Or do you find a lot of people that agree with you? Or are you alone on some island and like your group and anti-media, like they're on board <laughs> with you, but are you, are you being heard? Are, are people receptive to this? You know, I think they are. And obviously I get a lot of reactive people on my posts who are going to call me stupid and call me crazy and call me utopian and call me this and that. And that comes with the territory. That's something I've just gotten used to and accepted. But I really think there is a big market for these ideas. People are receptive. And what I find is that they may not identify as anarchists. They may not even identify as anti-government, but they know that something is just fundamentally wrong and that the way the system works is not suited to their best interests, that it's suited for a ruling class, that it preserves the ruling class. And so they may not have even considered the possibility that we could have a world without government eventually. I'm not one of those like burn it down and see what happens tomorrow, people. Like I would like an evolution. And I think that's the more realistic option um, just as the government becomes so bloated and inefficient and broke ultimately. I That's the goal is evolution. Um, and when I put it that way, you know, it makes a lot more sense to people. But I think they're just very like even intuitively aware that something is very wrong and that what we've been fed all of our lives about democracy and representation and your vote is your voice. Like they know that that's not true. And of course, the majority still believe it. But I think that there's a growing, especially among our generation versus the baby boomers, there's a, a growing faction that is open to other ideas and, and ways of seeing the world. That's hopeful. <laughs> You made a nice video summarizing this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask this anyway. Maybe you can just run through this quickly. Uh, besides yeah. revolting, uh, what can like you and me and anyone hearing this that's like, yeah, that makes sense. What can we do to ensure maximum personal freedoms or get to that point where this over obnoxious government is existing? Like, well, how can we get past that besides burning yeah. it down? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. You know, it's funny. I made that video because people are always telling me that all I do is complain, right? They're like, all you do is whine and you don't ever offer any solutions. What's your solution? Okay, so I make a video about solutions and everybody gets mad at me for it. I won't say everybody. That is hyperbole. But a lot of people got mad at me for that video. They were like, those aren't real solutions. First of all, I just want to preface this by saying I don't claim to have all the solutions. I am one person. I am one valley girl in California who saw something really wrong with the world and decided that she had to say something. And my solution was to join the anti-media and start bringing news to people who didn't know what was going on with their government. Like the average person doesn't know what the National Defense Authorization Act is or that it authorizes their indefinite detention at the hands of the government. They don't know that. I was talking to two members of my family and we were talking about like this Democratic lawmaker. And I'm going to come back to my point. I promise this is really quick. We were talking about this Democratic lawmaker um, who Trump had been attacking. I don't know, some guy in California. And I was like, hmm, I wonder how he voted on indefinite detention. And both of these family members were like, oh, no way, no way he voted for that. No way. He's not that kind of guy. I looked it up and showed them. And sure enough, he had voted for it. So the point for me has really just been to inform people. I think so much of the problem is people don't even know what's going on in their government. And I think this is a product of the culture and society. But it's also by design. There's a reason they pass bills on Friday nights, you know, or they sign bills on Friday nights like this is orchestrated. There's a reason 
corporate news media leave things out. They did this whole segment on John McCain's National Defense Authorization Act and how offensive it was that Donald Trump didn't honor John McCain. Not a word about the indefinite detention. So education for me is huge. And that includes learning to bolster yourself, not only against mainstream news, but also independent media, because there's a lot of really bad news out there, like not even bad, just fake, just made up disinformation intended to generate clicks. So one, just learn how to interpret information and not let it be manipulated in, you know, as it's entering your mind, because most information is skewed and it is biased. And so is what I'm putting out. I'm not going to pretend like I'm unbiased. I have very strong opinions and I don't hide them. That's one thing. There are also smaller steps you can take, you know, just to subvert some of the policies. So like, you don't like the NSA collecting all your data, use encrypted information, they use an encrypted browser. There's a great browser called Brave that I use, and uh, there's a search engine called DuckDuckGo, and they don't track you. There are texting apps like Signal and Telegram. Those are encrypted. You're just, like, automatically throwing your information into the AT&T NSA pipeline, um, taking part or taking roles in your community, you know, like, whether it's a community garden, so you're not having to buy Monsanto pesticide-sprayed vegetables. There's so many little things you can do, and for example, there was this ocean cleanup. I don't know if you've heard about it. There's this Dutch kid. He's younger than me. And he decided he wanted to clean up the Pacific Ocean garbage patch, which is just it's a huge I don't even know how many miles wide it is. But it's just this disgusting pile of trash in the ocean that humans have created. And he wanted to change that. And so he got a bunch he got a bunch of crowdfunding. He did get some government funding from the Dutch government. Um, but a lot of this was privately funded people decided they valued something like that and they gave their money to that. You can support GoFundMe's, you can support legal campaigns, you can you can do so many different things just by voting with your dollar. For example, I don't know if you remember with Subway, they had that uh, the rubber bread or rubber in the bread controversy. It was like this yoga mat rubber that ended up in their bread. Yeah. And there was a huge public relations backlash and they took it out. I'm not saying that like that's the solution to every problem, but I think that just being more informed being vocal, actually aligning your actions with your values and doing what you can to get away from, you know, just the surveillance state and the police state. I think these are all amazing things to subvert the established order or even like with the pharmaceutical industry. This is so tied into the status system. If you can get better or if you can, you know, use CBD instead of taking painkillers, that's a chip away at the system. And they're terrified of that. That's why the prison lobby, that's why the pharmaceutical lobby, it's why all these huge industries are opposed to legalizing cannabis because they know that it will eat away at their profits. So all these little things, voting with your dollar, using technology that takes you away from the status system and ultimately education and changing your relationship to authority and your indoctrinated belief to submit to it. These are all things that they seem small, they seem inconsequential, but added up over time with lots of people doing it, I personally think can have a huge effect, but take it with a grain of salt because again, I'm just one person. Well, I mean, honestly, that's basically all you can do. And you hit at this in another video that I saw generated, I mean, just as much heat as you referenced before about how you didn't basically give a crap about the midterm election. And you had some <laughs> poignant statements in there. And I've been quoting these to people Aww. just about, I mean, like legitimately, you hit the nail on the head. Like you can go in that voting booth, but you're right. Like nothing, nothing's going to come of that. You are correct in these statements of like, what can you do? And you're right. It is one person. But if that catches on and spreads, like that's how you do make a change. So I agree wholeheartedly. To that point, though, are you completely shut down on the American political system as far as like going to the booth, vote Republican or Democrat? Do you vote third party? Do you even vote anymore? Sure. No, I don't vote. 
Um, I do. And this is something I actually wanted to put in that video and the audio on it was like messed up. And I, I had been editing for so long. I was just like, I'll put it in the next video I make. And then I ended up not finishing that video because I was so exhausted that week. Um, but something I did really want to add to that is like, I understand if you're voting on issues that really affect your community, you know, like if you can vote to, for example, there was a measure in California a few years back. Um, it was a proposition that was supposed to release nonviolent offenders from prison. And they had to because the system was so overbloated. That's a great thing to vote for. In practice, they ended up releasing violent offenders too. And it was like this whole disaster. But in theory, like the proposed goal was to lessen the reach of government for, you know, punishing ridiculous crimes, nonviolent crimes. So I understand that. Like if you can prevent a tax from being imposed, sure, go for it. I'm not going to tell you that that's wrong. Uh, but my general belief I don't know if you're familiar with Lysander Spooner. He's one of my absolute favorite anarchist philosophers. But he basically argued that voting is inherently like it's not only is it involuntary that you're not really consenting to it. He's basically saying you're not consenting because the main motivation for voting is because you're afraid somebody else is going to inflict tyranny on you. So to protect yourself from having tyranny inflicted on you, you impose it on somebody else. It's just your kind of tyranny. And a lot of people have taken that to be like a defensive voting. I totally disagree. I think it was just him explaining how the system works. I don't think he was saying you should do that because it just perpetuates the tyranny. And he was like fundamentally opposed to that. I'm sorry. I say like a lot. I'm li- I really am from the Valley. I can't help it. <laughs> no worries. No people worries. get so mad at me on the internet. They're like, why do you talk this way? And it's like, cause this is my accent. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how else to talk. Um, anyway. Yeah. I think that ultimately it comes down to, it is a course of system and that's why people vote and we can, dress it up in pretty rhetoric about how it's having our voice heard and we are the government. But I think it's pretty clear that's not the case. Voting hasn't changed anything. I'm, I'm sure you would agree with that at this point. And I just think it's a coercive system and I understand why people do it. I understand what they've been led to believe. I understand that they think that it's their only way to make a difference. But that to me is the biggest problem is like in response to that video, which for your listeners, it was titled why I don't care about the quote unquote most important election of our lifetime. People's takeaway from that was like, oh, so just do nothing. And that's what makes me sad. And that's what's so scary is that people equate doing anything with using government. It's like if you're not using government, you're not doing anything. It's like they haven't even considered the possibility that you could do things outside the realm of the state. And I'm sure that if you talk to them about it, they'd get it. But their knee jerk reaction and their internal narrative is that if you don't vote and if you don't use the provided mechanisms for change, you don't care and you're apathetic when it couldn't be farther from the truth for me. The irony of this next question will not be lost on me, an anarchist asking another anarchist this, but (laughs) have you ever or would you ever consider a political run? Because you are incredibly intelligent. You can break this down to such a level where I think anyone could listen to it and be like, yep, okay, got it. (laughs) Um, I appreciate that. A lot of my haters would beg to differ, but I appreciate your vote of confidence. I don't want to do that. I have, I've thought about it, um, I don't know, maybe a couple times because people always say that to me, you know, like run for office, run for president. But I like my soul too much. Like I don't want to risk losing it by entering government because that seems to happen. Like I'm no Ron Paul, you know, like who knows what would happen. I mean, I'd like to think that I would, you know, be totally shielded from all the corruption and the ickiness and the, just how disgusting it is in the political realm. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Not that I think I would compromise my values, but like, I think I would be miserable. It's hard enough to just be on the internet listening to people spout all these beliefs, but to like be in the halls of power. I don't know if you've ever been to DC. It makes me feel ill. Like just driving the streets. I'm just like, oh, all these monuments to authority. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. So yeah, short answer. No, but I'll never say never. Fair. 
Fair answer. <laughs> Just a couple more things. I don't know why this necessarily occurred to me, but do you feel that you occupy a similar space in the anarchist libertarian movement that like a Tommy Lahren or like Lauren Southern occupy for conservatives or like a vice news for liberals or like a crooked media and all those dudes? Do you feel that you are that for young anarchists or this the millennial generation? Because I, I can't think of anyone else really that occupies that space. Is that you? I don't know. People tell me that. I get compared to Tommy Lauren a lot. Like, I've had people make memes of, like, me versus Tommy Lauren. Um, I see the comparison because we are loud. We are opinionated. We can be bitchy. And I think that when you're a female and you're talking that way, it does sort of make you stand out because it's hard to get people's attention. Like, I've tried doing the, like, softer and the kinder videos. And you know, they don't go viral, but they get a reciprocal level of hate, you know, just because of what I'm saying. So, yeah, sometimes I like to let off some steam and maybe that makes me sound like Tommy Lauren. The difference is I'm not preaching violence. Um, sure. So, yeah, I, 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 oh, I shudder to, like, identify myself as that. But um, I am one of the few lady voices left right now. So if even if just by default, maybe. But, um, yeah, it's a it's a very specific type of personality I think where and I think it's extra shocking because girls are expected to be agreeable and nice and that's how I've always been and I've talked to a lot of women who are just like I love what you do I just I can't do it I can't put myself out there like that and it is scary and it is hard and as much as I completely disagree with Tommy Lauren and Lauren Southern like I I I feel compassion for them because I know they're getting like way more hate than I am they have bigger followings than me because they preach to a more mainstream audience and so I definitely I, I feel for them, you know, as much as I wish they sure. would completely abandon their beliefs. It's like, oh, it is it is hard to do that. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't want to like insinuate or make you think I was making a comparison between your videos and like Tommy's rhetoric or anything like that. <laughs> like you're not, no, not up there being racist or being just closed minded and awful. That's not what I was saying. But just as far no, as like you said, <laughs> like a, a young woman standing up and sharing beliefs. And like you said, that's got to be tough. So it's interesting that people have made that connection as well that's all i was trying to say there not anything yeah. ne- oh negative. no no i didn't assume anything at all and it's a valid comparison honestly i mean we're loud and we have attitude and we don't apologize for what we're saying and we're saying totally different things but it's there's a similar uh i don't even want to say attitude because i feel like tommy lauren like gives me demon vibes like and not <laughs> that i think she's a demon just like she has there's like a lot of anger right and people say the same thing about me but like i don't i feel like my anger's justified you know (laughs) um and you know i also i'm not trying to use government violence against people so right you do have a a softer more fun approach i think i mean i've seen raps on your youtube channel i've seen (laughs) parodies like i can't imagine in like lauren southern doing a rap of any sort i could be completely (laughs) wrong if i find that on the internet somewhere but yeah Yeah, let's see Finally, I just uh, give you a chance, like where can my listeners, let's say they're intrigued, where can they find you online? What can they check out? What can they do to support you? Sure. Thank you uh, for the opportunity. You can find me pretty much anywhere. Well, you can't find me on Twitter. I'm permanently suspended from Twitter for a made up reason. So don't look for me there. But I am on YouTube. It's Carrie Wedler and it's C-A-R-E-Y-W-E-D-L-E-R. It's spelled a little funky. So people have trouble finding me. But I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. 
Uh, I'm still technically editor in chief of the antimedia.org. You can check out our content there, but we just don't have original content right now because we have been deleted from Twitter and Facebook. So it's been a strange couple of months, but still my baby. I still love antimedia. So check that out as well. And, um, I think that's it. All right. Well, I appreciate so much the chance to speak with you. You are such a cool person. I hope you keep putting out content. I hope you get your Twitter back. I hope you are not silenced because you have some really cool things to say and people need to hear them. So thanks again for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the kind words and the encouragement and the invitation. And again, a giant, giant thank you to Carrie Wedler for giving up an evening to sit down and talk to me about freedom and about government and about what we should want as people. We should want the most amount of freedom possible. And hopefully more millennials and just people in general can hear these things and be like, yeah, that's not so crazy. And maybe we can move towards that. If you're interested in anything you heard here, I would definitely, definitely encourage you to go check Carrie out. You can like her on Facebook. As she mentioned, she's been banned from Twitter because she's too anti-government. But she's on YouTube. She makes these awesome videos. They're worth watching. If you're into politics or you're into maybe different kinds of political theories, it'd be worth checking out. So find her on YouTube. Just Google Carrie Wedler and she'll come up. Now time for our song pick of the week. I guess the singular song pick of the week. And I've been kind of bopping to a song called Passenger Side by Small Pools. It's a nice summery song. Obviously, it is freezing cold outside, so listen to it. Get you in a happy mood and thinking about the warmth and the heat and just summer. So check that out. Thanks again for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Carrie Wedler. Please check us out next week for another enthralling episode of Two Millennials, One Podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>